0: Today we are starting a two-part series. Over the next two Sundays, I'm going to be talking to you on the topic of worship. And we are starting this little series called Worthy. Worthy. The power and posture of worship. Today is part one. Of course, next week will be part two. And listen, we are going to be talking about worship. We are not diving deep into it. You're not having a deep Bible study because as you're going to see even from today, uh, worship is a vast topic. It's been around for a long time. The Bible has a lot to say about it and it's not two sermons from this guy who's going to cover the topic, forget it. But I hope at least that as we dive into it this week and next, we can maybe have a a clearer understanding. Those of you who've been around this church for a while, you know that that worship is an important part of our culture. Right from the beginning, 35 years ago when we started, uh, worship, praise and worship has always been part of our culture and and, and spending time in the presence of the Lord, singing, worshiping. And uh, it it is an integral part of the Christian's life. And so, we want to go back to it. Right? We have to we need to keep this conversation going. And so why is it so important? You know what? Of all the the church activities or religious activities that we do on this earth, of all that we do, what do we do? We we, we pray, we evangelize, we do Bible studies, we you know, we help people, we counsel, right? Of all the things that we do, we preach. And we proclaim of all the things that we do on this earth, all the church or religious activities that we do on this earth, only one will continue in heaven. And guess what it is? Worship. All right? I mean, what's the point of preaching in heaven? Everybody's already there. (laughs) Okay? Okay. Ain't nobody going to repent in heaven because they've done it already. That is why they're there. No point in praying for the sick in heaven, is there? Because there ain't no sickness in heaven. Huh? No point having prayer meetings in heaven. I mean, why should I have a prayer meeting in heaven when the Lord is in? I can just talk to him. Huh? You understand? And so of all the stuff we do, this is stuff for us to do here. Things that Jesus told us to go and do, and it's our our duty as believers to do, you know, to take what we've got and share it with others, you know. (laughs) There's not going to be no tithes and offerings in heaven. I mean, when you're living in a city where the streets are paved with gold, what are you going to bring? Huh? Huh? Everything is there. You don't need anything in heaven. But there's one thing we're going to be doing in heaven that we do here now. And that is worship. God will continue to be worshipped. Why? Because worship has always existed. Worship existed before the creation of the universe. And worship will continue after this whole thing is gone. When the new heaven and the new earth, you know, the earth has been renewed, worship will continue throughout eternity. And so, if worship is important to God, hey, it had better be important to us as well. Amen? If you are followers of Jesus and worship is important to him, guess what? It should be important to us too. And that's why you're going to take some time just to talk a little bit more about worship. And so, it's important that we should get familiar with what worship means and get used to worshiping the Lord in its different formats over here. And why do I say this? Because although worship is so important, worship has been a cause of dispute and division amongst believers, amongst church leaders, and amongst denominations for a long time. People have disputed and fought over worship. I mean, should we have drums in church? Isn't drums an instrument of the devil? I mean, after all, all the rock and roll people they use drums, don't they? Huh? Why should you have that? Come on. And so there has been that kind of thing. Some people think, no, only a certain type of music is allowed in the church. The old hymns. Amen. A mighty fortress is our God. La, la 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 la. Now that's a beautiful hymn, by the way. And when it came out, rather right about the time of Martin Luther's time, 1500s, people were furious. You know why? Because what to us today sounds like an old song, an old hymn, back in those days was the kind of songs they used to sing in bars and in pubs. And they said, you are singing what in church? That tune, that kind of music? Are you crazy? Because there was a time in history where you could not sing in church. Did you know that? They reckoned in church only some very specialized, trained people could sing. Or the clergy, you know, the the monks and the nuns, they would sing. So you'd come to church and just sit over there, and then you'd hear these voices echoing from somewhere up there. And and, and you could not sing. Furthermore, the songs were all done in Latin. No matter where you were in the world, it was done in Latin. Nobody understood Latin, and therefore nobody could sing Latin. Some of them were pretty beautiful songs with very meaningful words, except nobody understood them. And so nobody sang. They'd come to church and they just stood there and they'd say, look, sorry, you're you you, are, you are a regular person. You cannot sing. You're not allowed to sing. You're not worthy of singing. Let us, the professionals, you know, the clergy, the priests and the monks and the nuns and the, the specially trained choir people who are learned and, and, and trained, let us do the singing for you. That is what's been happening throughout history in the area of worship. Well, thank God, from the beginning, Christians have always worshipped. Singing has been part of the church of Jesus Christ from the beginning. In fact, if you remember, on that last supper, when Jesus sat with his disciples and his last meal with him, what did they do right in the end? They sang a hymn. You see, because coming back to the Jewish culture... which was like God's people, remember, in the Old Testament, they were used to singing. They sang in everywhere. In every ceremony, they were singing. We know about David. He he transformed the whole temple life or worship life by understanding and acknowledging the importance of worship and organized singers and choirs and instruments to continuously praise the Lord when he created a little tabernacle for the Ark of the Covenant. And coming from that, from the Jewish uh, culture which sang whenever they got together to worship, it got brought into Christianity and we continued singing and bringing more songs and so forth. And even when the organized church tried to stop it, there were always some group somewhere, gathering somewhere in a home, in a barn or something, and they would come together and they'd worship the Lord with songs. But all this time, there's always been this this opposition. Where do you think the opposition comes? Who is opposing worship? Who is the person who hates it when God is worshipped? Only one guy, the devil himself. And we'll see that next week, but the devil is a fallen worshipper. Because the devil used to be the chief worshipper before the throne of God. Until he became proud. And he fell. Fell big time. But he didn't lose his music knowledge. He didn't lose his chords. And he's still trying to entice the world with music. Look around you. Music is always present in culture. Most of the turning points in history have been accompanied by music. Music which focuses people's minds on something else other than God. Music which brings people's attention to themselves, to their pleasure, or to a cause which is outside of the will of God, or to sex, or to fame, or to popularity, or to drugs, or to whatever it is. Music is used to do that. You know why? Because music is powerful. Music can bypass your logic and get through to your heart. And so music is a powerful tool which the devil wanted for himself. So much so that when he tempted Jesus, what did he say? Jesus, worship me. I'll give you all this if you worship me. He's so hungry and thirsty for worship. And so get this. If you're not intentionally and actively worshiping God, you will ultimately, directly or indirectly, land up worshiping Satan. But we'll get to that a little bit later. So you must understand the importance and the power of worship, all right? Now, what is worship? (laughs) We, we, <laughs> what is worship? Oh, pastor, that's very really simple. Worship is that time of singing we do in the beginning of church while we wait for the late comers to arrive so that the pastor can preach his sermon. <laughs> that's what some people think worship is. No, it's not. All right? We should be there from the beginning because worship is an integral part of our service, an integral part of just serving, <laughs> serving the Lord. Amen? Now... Um, we, we, we are familiar with terms such as worship group or worship team or worship songs, worship service, and so on. And uh, although it is true that we do have times of worship, like what we've just had here this morning, worship is not limited to singing only or to singing on Sunday mornings only. Worship is much broader than that. Worship is linked to the response that we have towards another being. Okay, So worship is a response that we have towards another being. In our case, this other being is the Lord. It's God, the triune God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, some people have a problem with that. They say, no, 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 but there's only one God. You know, you can't have three gods, and there's a lot of confusion around that. But the Bible is clear. We'll get to that just now. But the Bible is clear. Throughout, from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, this thing is revealed that God or is actually Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one being, three distinct personalities. And you say, but, Pastor, I can't understand that. I don't blame you. You are not the creator. You are the creature. Since when does the creature have more brains than the creator? One day we'll see God face to face and our understanding will be complete. But for now, we have to rely on what has been revealed to us, on what God has revealed to us in his word. And so worship is our response To God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for worship appears some 170 times throughout all those books. And the word means to bow down, to humbly beseech, to make obeisance, you know, that kind of, you know, obeisance. Um, It means, what else? To do reverence. To stoop and to worship. So it's, it, it can be the, the, that word for, for worship is either translated worship or any of those things. Bow down or stoop in the Old Testament. In other words, it involves you coming into the presence of a being, acknowledging the power of this being and you bow down to it. You, you humble yourself before it. You Worship that being because you become aware that you're in the presence of something great, something mighty. Amen? And our God is the almighty God. All right? And that's why in times of intense worship and sometimes when people feel touched by the presence of God, they will automatically bow down. Sometimes people actually fall down. Because if God turns up the heat a little bit, you, you're not going to be able to handle it. None of you can stick your finger on the plug of the day, And it's only 240 volts. None of you can stick your finger in that plug and, and not, not react. God's power is a little bit higher than 240 volts. And when he turns his power on you, you're going to bow down. Amen? Listen. Because what I'm talking about is a spiritual reality which the devil tries to blind us. He wants to distract us. He wants us to see worship as just a boring time where you sing a couple of songs. So I want to get to the word, to the fun part. and I want to learn something. I want my mind to be busy. But remember, you're not just mind. You are spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, that inner part of you which is breathed into you by God. The part of you which connects with God. You are soul. You're feeling, choosing, your are sensing, your your thinking process. And then you are body. Your five senses. The, what I see, the Bible describes us as a triune being. God made us in his image and likeness. He's a triune being. He made you a triune being as well. And he wants the, the whole of you, spirit, soul, and body, to worship the whole of him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Huh? Amen? Are you getting something this morning? Okay. So that is the, the depth and the power of worship. And so in the Old Testament, that's what it means to bow down. Well, the New Testament isn't very much different. Of course, the Old Testament was written in, in Hebrew. And uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word for for worship appears some 60 times in the New Testament. And there the word means to kiss the hand to one in reverence. To fall upon your knees and touch the ground with your forehead as an expression of profound reverence. To make obeisance again. To move towards as to kiss. So the, the, the Greek word has this connotation of moving closer S to kiss. You know, sometimes when you when you come to somebody that you you know honoring, oh, you know, and you, you kiss their hands, and that's where often this habit of you know when you come to a, an authority, a higher authority. We even sometimes in some of the, the, the denominations, when you come to a bishop or something, you go and you you kiss his hand. It, it comes from this idea of, of reverence and of worship. The only problem is this worship was never meant to be used towards people. It was meant to be used towards God. And we find throughout the Bible, um, you know, when, when, when men try to bow down before angels because they're so much more powerful than we are, angels say, ah, don't do that. Hey, 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 nah, don't do that. You, you worship God, not me. Amen? So I have to be careful about that. But that's what it means. And so, again, we see that this, this, this it's coming before someone. So you notice one thing about worship. Worship implies closeness. I mean, if the king is, 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 you know, being driven down the street and I'm over here, I, I'm not going to go in and make an obeisance to the king. All right? When do people do that? When do people honor the king or the queen? When they are in their presence. So worship implies being in the presence. So to worship God implies being close to God. And that's what the aim of this time, even as a church, when we get together, the, the, when you spend time in, in praise and worship, the idea is that through our singing and through what we are doing, we can get close to God. Again, through music, your, your spirit your, and your emotions can get connected with the spirit of God, the presence of God. And that's why some people are so afraid of of certain types of worship, and they think worship must be very regulated and regimented and and, and and very technical and not emotional because they reckon no, we mustn't we mustn't be emotional, you know. Who says God is an emotional being? We'll see that next week. And we were created with emotions. We are emotional beings. We see a sad story or a touching story, we get all weepy. I I listen to the angels on radio sometimes in in the mornings and they're helping somebody and they help, and I get all weeping in the car. And it's not even anything to do with me. (laughs) Why? Because you are emotional beings. So when we come into the presence of Almighty God and we begin to understand and become aware of His goodness, why shouldn't we become emotional? Why shouldn't we become full of joy? Or why shouldn't he come weepy when he sings his love? Like we sang today? <coughs> Amen? Ah And so that is the, the meaning of worship. We see that there is an element of respect of war, but also intimacy in worship. You see, mankind, humans, we are inherently worship worshippers. And that's why you find that every people group. No matter how disconnected they may be from what we consider to be civilization. When you find those groups, all of them have some form of religion and worship. Go into the Amazon, the deepest of Amazon. Find some tribe over there who has never seen civilization as you know it before. They still live in there amongst the bushes and they still hunting with bows and arrows. They've got religion. And they worship. They worship something. Because human beings are inherently worshipers. Why? Because we are created in the image and likeness of God. We came from God and therefore we hunger for a God. We hunger to worship something. Because we were created by God for God to worship him. Sin separated man from God, but man never lost his identity as an image of God. And he never lost deep down, he knows he must worship a higher being. And if he doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if he doesn't know the word of God, he's gonna worship some, he's gonna find something to worship. A cow, a pig, a tree, the sun, the moon, the stars, or ultimately even your worship himself. All these people that says, "Oh, I don't believe in God. There is no God." Guess what? They are worshippers too. They just worship a different kind of God. Maybe they worship fame. And maybe they worship money. Maybe they worship position. Or ultimately, maybe they worship themselves. Huh? Okay, <laughs> you know. You know, this the, the thing that goes around with people saying, you are the master of your universe. You are the master of your own destiny. There's kind of this philosophy going around. You don't depend on anybody, man. You don't need anybody. You are who you are, and you are the master of your destiny. What are you saying? You are your own God. <laughs> You're the God of your own life. Oh, it sounds nice. Oh, yeah. And to, to some extent, it is true that we are, individually, our decisions have consequences. And so we are the consequences of our decisions. But you don't control all the decisions in your life. You don't control everything around you. There are so many things around you that you cannot control. Try not paying your water and light bills. I was going to say that. Even if you pay them, you still don't get it. (laughs) So imagine if you don't pay them, okay? So don't come and, I'm the master of, no, 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 no. There are a lot of things. And so you need to be connected with something else. So be careful with that kind kind of philosophy or understanding. If worship means to bow down to something, what are you bowing down to? Think about it. Some people bow down to idols, statues, and images of gods. Others may bow down to statues or pictures, but they bow down to an image. Others might not bow down to a statue or a picture, but they bow down to an image in their own heads. They form an image of what God should be like, and then they bow down to that. And if we are not careful, even Christians can form a wrong image of God And bow down to that. And we've seen it in history. We've seen it in this nation. And we see it right now in many parts of the world. Where some people who call themselves Christians have this image of God. A God who is angry and full of wrath. And he doesn't like certain types of people. And therefore, it's okay if I, as a follower of God, don't like those people either. Because God doesn't like them either. You see what's happening there? People are bowing down to a wrong image of God. Not to the God of the Bible. So we have to be careful. Even as followers of Christ. That are not being influenced by smooth talk of sometimes eloquent so-called preachers. Which take us away from the path. They tell you the things that you want to hear sometimes, but the Bible does say that in the last days, people would go after teachers who tickle the ears, who tell them what they want to hear, <laughs> instead of teaching the truth of God's word. So, worship is not just something you do on a Sunday morning before the message. It is something which we do with our lives. We bow down to God, not just in worship times on a church service or even during a time worshiping alone at home. We also bow down to his word. We bow down to his will in our lives and we honor him with our choices, decisions, and conduct. So worship is not just singing. It goes beyond that. When you leave the, the, the building today and you go home, and you, worship continues. You're worshiping with your life. Tomorrow you go to work, you go to school, you're worshiping God through your work and through your schooling. Why? Because you need to make choices which are consistent with the will of God. And if I, if I worship God, if I bow down to God, then I will bow down to His will. And people come and say, do this, do that, and everybody's doing it. And you say, no, 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 but, but God says this. I don't agree with you because God doesn't agree with you. And I'm going to bow down to God, not to you. That's worship. So worship is not always lacquer. <laughs> Coming to church and singing, it's wonderful. You can enjoy it. And it's very often very pleasant, very nice. But when you're out there in the marketplace, and the world is going this way, and you want to go that way, it becomes a little bit tricky. When they say, just cut some corners, man. Just bribe the guy, man. Just cheat and just, hey, your wife won't know. Just do it, man. huh?" <laughs> now you've got to bow down to the will of God instead of to the will of the world. Are you getting this? So worship is so important and it's broader than just singing on a Sunday morning. For the follower of Jesus, worship is a lifestyle. Amen. You can worship the Lord with everything that you are and everything that you do. Now, is there a, a difference between praise and worship? Part of it, we are about praise and worship. Is there a, a, a difference? Sometimes people use the two words in, interchangeably. And the fact is that, yes, there is a difference between praise and worship. When, you, when we worship God, there are different elements, and we'll get into more of that next week. But there are different elements. But praise and worship are these two main parts that usually go together. So what is the difference? And again, we're going into more detail next week. But the easiest way to explain the difference is this. Praise is talking about. Okay? Praise is talking about. Worship is talking to. Okay? Worship is talking to. So, if I come to you and say, hey, God is good. God is great. God is this in my life. You know, I'm here today because, because I am here today. Because God has done some things in my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. And so, I tell you, God did this and God did that. What am I doing? I am praising God. I'm talking about. But then I come into a service and you start singing. Or I go into my, my room and I start talking to God. And I say, Lord, you are wonderful. You have done so much for me. I, I, I thank you for your love and your goodness, Lord. What, what's happening now? I'm talking to, to God. It's more intimate. It is personal. That is worship. Okay? There is praise and there is worship. Hmm? getting together, getting close to as to kiss, as to reverence, as to worship the Lord. Amen. So I want you to become aware of this. When it comes to music, um, praise songs are usually more upbeat with a faster rhythm and worship songs are usually slower and more tender. I want you to become aware of this. Sometimes you have praise and worship in the same song. Sometimes in one song, we'll talk about God, and then we'll turn and talk to God. We did one of them we did this morning. Okay, we talk about what, what is, like, blessed be the name of the Lord, and then you turn to him, and, and, and we talk to him. So there are, there are songs in which you have both elements in the song, but I want you to become aware of this. And become aware of what, what are you doing? Am I praising or am I worshiping? Because in the worship songs will give you an opportunity to really get connected with God and express yourself. And also, in worship songs listen carefully, there will often be points in the song that are just instruments, just music. Or maybe just a no words, just a oh, whatever. That's the time where you come in and you say what's in your heart. I've got a little list that I've done for myself. I've spoken about this in church, but I've got 10 steps that I believe every disciple should take. Now, there's a lot of steps, okay? But I've kind of summarized everything we do into kind of 10 steps. It starts with the new birth, and then the last one, number 10, not because the last thing to be done, but it's just lost in the list, is expressive worship. And why do I say that? Because... There are many Christians. They they love Jesus. They come to church. But during the worship, they just stand there. Some some don't even sing. They just stand. And sometimes they sing just a bare minimum. and That's okay. But... How can I put this? When a father and a mother... When, when the baby is born, they don't phone their neighbor and says, hello, my baby was born. Thank you. When your favorite sports team, when South Africa plays another nation, and they won, you go, yay, go booker. Huh? when somebody brings you a gift you've been wanting this for like for six years and you've been trying to save up for it and you can't and then one day somebody comes and gives it to you you say wow i wanted this all my life thank you huh or are you a little bit more expressive my child is been born in so many kilograms. Ah, go back. We are expressive because you're expressive beings. And then we come to church. Hallelujah. We need to learn to be expressive worshipers. Huh? Why do we worship? Why do we sing to the Lord? Because He is worthy. And so we learn to to engage. And we're going to read from Revelation now. John had a vision of what goes on in heaven. In this chapter that we're going to read, Revelation chapter 5, you can get ready there. Revelation chapter 5. In this chapter, Father God is sitting on the throne and He's got a scroll, a sealed scroll in His hands. And there is throughout heaven, Not one person is worthy to come and take the scroll from his hand. Nobody is worthy. Not even the highest ranking angel is worthy to take the scroll from Father God. And then someone steps into the room. This person looks like a lamb that has just been slaughtered. And he walks up to the throne. And he grabs that scroll. And the Father lets it go. Why? Because He is worthy to take that scroll and open that scroll. Who's that? Jesus. Come with me. Revelation chapter five. Let's get a glimpse and understand. John had the. You're taken up to heaven. He had a revelation of some stuff that goes on in heaven. And he has also revelation of some stuff that he, that will happen in the future. But let's go to Revelation five, reading from verses eight to fourteen. So this is what happens when uh, when uh, Jesus takes that scroll. Now, when he Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. We're in heaven now, but now a new song is being sung in heaven. I remember, they've been worshiping for eternity back. But suddenly, there is a new song in heaven, saying, you, talking to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. And, and then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne the, the living creatures and the elders. And how many angels were there? The number of them was 10,000 times ten thousands And thousands of thousands. We've got angels and people and a whole bunch of activity is going around the throne. And they will all say with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. That's where our title comes from for the series, Worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The lamb is worthy to receive all of this. And every creature which is in heaven. Now check this out. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that they are in them. I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb Jesus forever and ever. And then. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Amen. Now, Jesus, we see here, Jesus is worthy of our worship. Father God is worthy of our worship. Both of them are in this vision. Both of them are being worshipped over here. And I'm going to quickly just go over this passage again, unpack a few things quickly over here. And remember, this is not a study on Revelation, so I'm not going to give you all the uh, meaning of all the symbols and everything else, just what it pertains to worship. He says, when I take the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Okay. Now, these heavenly creatures, they bow down to Jesus. Now, remember, bow down is what? Worship. What does worship mean? To bow down. So these heavenly creatures are bowing down before Jesus. And they worship the lamb. Who's the lamb? The Lord Jesus Christ. And it is declared. It is the declared will of God. As we see over here. It's a declared will of God. That people, that you and me, we should honor the Son, Jesus Christ. Just as we honor the Father. We has the same nature. Did you get that? The Father is sitting on the throne. The Lamb, Jesus, comes and he takes the scroll and everybody bows down to him. And the Father says nothing. He doesn't interrupt them. doesn't stop them. Allows them to bow down to Jesus. Why? Because they are one. They are of the same nature. Jesus is God. God the Father is God. And so... They worship, and I'm saying this because there are people who say, "No, you only worship the Father. The Son and the Spirit are not on the same level." Uh -uh. The Bible is consistent: Father, Son, Holy. And yet again, we see this is in heaven, guys. Heaven is the one place where God's will is always done. In earth, we have ups and downs. Sometimes it gets done; most times, not. But in heaven, every single second, the will of God is done. And what's happening over here? They are worshiping Jesus. So it's the will of God. Jesus should be worshiped. Amen. They worship the lamb. Their posture is they fell down before him. They did not give Jesus an inferior sort of worship. They don't worship the Father in one way, bowing down before the Father, and then just giving, hey, how's it, Jesus? No, they bow down before the Father, and they bow down before Jesus as well. Their posture is the same. It's a posture of humility, bowing down, acknowledging, reverencing the greatness of the Lamb. It's not a blasé thing. It's a a honorable uh, posture. Profound adoration. And what they used, these elders in their worship, that harps and bowls, harps and bowls. The, The harps were instruments of praise. And again, we'll see that next week, that worship can be and should be accompanied by Instruments. It's part of the worshiping thing. And it happens in heaven. It's not just on the earth. In heaven, there's instruments. Oh, isn't it good? But we can have guitars in heaven, man. We can do our thing in heaven. Hallelujah. Can't wait for it. And I, I think in heaven we'll be able to play even, well, we'll be completely released to play fully. Okay? So there's instruments. There's music in heaven. <laughs> like that. Anyway, they, they, they have these instruments of music and then they have these bowls which contains the praise. It's like, it's like incense. The bowls were full of odors of incense, which signify and symbolize the prayers of the saints. Now listen, prayer and praise and worship should always go together. That's why very often, during a time of, of worship, we'll have prayer in between. We begin with prayer. We end with prayer. We might have prayer in between because it's an integral part. And that's why when you are singing, you don't have to wait for somebody in front to say, let's pray. While you are worshiping, you pray. So often when I'm playing over here, or if I'm standing here and singing during a time of worship, during those times with this music playing, I will just pray. I will say something. Maybe I'll bring a need before God. Or maybe I'll thank him for something. But prayer is talking to God. And whether you are singing or speaking, you are talking to God. And so be spontaneous. Don't wait only for the words to come up. You use your own words. Use these words to trigger your own words. And pray. And talk to God. And worship him. The connection between prayer and incense is shown in Psalm 141, verse 2, which says, let my prayer be said before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Incense as a pleasing aroma as it ascends into heaven. And in this, we see how precious the prayer of the saints, of the church, of God's people is to God. Then he says, and they sang a new song, huh? Saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and were redeemed to us by God, by your blood and out of every tribe, nation, people. Listen, what is happening now in the scene when Jesus ascended into heaven and he entered the throne room of God, that was a new thing. It had never happened before. And that's why the whole heavenly hosts breaks into a new song. As 4th century professor wrote, it is a new thing that the Son of God should become man. It's a new thing to ascend into the heavens with a body. It is a new thing to give remission of sins to men. It is a new thing for men to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is a new thing to receive the priesthood of sacred observance and to look for a kingdom of unbounded promise. It's a new thing. And so what happens? Suddenly in heaven, there is a new song. A new song of redemption. Christ has redeemed his people from the bondage of sin, guilt, and Satan. Redeemed them to God. Set them at liberty to serve God and enjoy God. Christ has exalted his people. He has made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Remember, this is looking to the future. And we've spoken about this before. Because the day is coming, Jesus is going to return. And his people, that's you and I, as followers of Christ, are going to reign with him on the earth. And Now, when you realize that you're one of those people, because you should be. Every human being can be those people. Because Jesus died for all. But not all have accepted the gift of salvation. But when you realize that, your only response is to join the choir and worship God. Notice the increasing numbers as they sing this new song. As the, as the verses go down, the numbers are, are increasing. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard, now what? The voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. It is an uncountable number of people worshiping God in heaven. There is no limit. There is no, no, no fixture as to how many people are going to be saved. How many people can be saved. The door is open. All are welcome. And what John sees here, as he looks to the future, what does he see? A fixed number. No, he can't count them. It's 10,000 times thousands. 10, 10, the guy hasn't got enough zeros to write down in his scroll. So it just says that, like, it's a lot of people, man. <clears throat> because Jesus, of, because of what Jesus has done, he has opened up for every nation, tribe, tongue, color, whatever. We are all welcome to be part of this band. And sing with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor. Now, it, it, as the angels join the choir, notice that the, the angels did not sing the song of redemption earlier on. They join over here, and they they praise the, the Lamb. As far as is known, angels are not subjects of redemption. They did not need redemption. Mankind needed redemption. And. Uh, they, are, they don't need, but they are observers. They've, they've been watching all this as Jesus comes to Earth, as He's crucified, and they're watching all this. And when they see what is happening, that through the death of Jesus, people now are being redeemed and coming to the kingdom of God, they just rejoice and they enter into the choir and they sing along as well. Verse thirteen, and every creature. Which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And such as are in the sea and all that are in them. How would it say? Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne. Who's this? This is the Father. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne. The Father. And then he says, and to the Lamb. Who's that? Jesus. Forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down again and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. And so this this combined worship of the Father and the Lamb is a strong testimony to the deity of Jesus. Never doubt that Jesus is God equal with the Father. Here we see it again. The Lamb is to be worshipped with God and as God. If Jesus was not God, then this would be idolatry. If the lamb is not God and I'm worshiping the lamb and not the God, the Father only, then it's idolatry. But no, we are allowed to worship him because he is God. If Jesus was created, then we would be worshiping the creation. But no, he is the creator. He is God. And so we are worshiping God. Spurgeon, a preacher from the 19th century, said the following. Depend upon it, my hearer. You never will go to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ as God. They are all doing it in there in in heaven. You will have to come to it. And if you entertain the notion that Jesus is a mere man or that he's anything less than God, I am afraid you will have to begin at the beginning and learn what true religion means. You have a poor foundation to rest upon. I could not trust my soul with a mere man or believe in an atonement made by a mere man. I must see God himself putting his hand in so a gigantic work. Jesus did that and that is why he is worthy. Of our worship, of our praise, of our adoration, of our service, of our everything. The living God reigns eternally. Eternally. Listen, the Caesars, the the emperors, the kings, the presidents, and the politicians. They come and they go. Including those who persecute God's people. But the Lord, the Lord God, he lives forever and ever. And is ever worthy of our praise. Amen. We will continue next Sunday. I hope this is interesting to you. And that you're getting something out of this. But we shall continue on this topic. And dive a little bit deeper next Sunday. But uh, worship guys. Worship, worship. I, I really want to encourage us. To become spontaneous. And expressive worshipers, Not just in church. But in our daily lives. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Let's go and worship God through our lives now during the week, doing what we do every day, and we'll get together again next Sunday for not just a time of singing worship, but a time of getting into the Word again and learning more about this precious, precious topic. Are you getting something out of this? Amen. I hope you guys are telling more enjoying it too. Those of you listening to this recording, I hope it's been a blessing to you. Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, it is awesome. As you as begin to understand and to read and to, and to see what you have unveiled to us. Even what you have shown concerning the future. What is happening in heaven right now and what will happen in the future. As a day comes where every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth will worship you. That's why your word says that that the earth groans in in expectation of the manifestation of the sons of God. This planet groans because of all the sin and all the rubbish going on in it, Lord. But thank you, Lord, that the day will come when Jesus will reign and this planet will rejoice. There will be praises and honor going up to you from every creature. But we don't want to wait for that day, Lord. We want to worship you now. We want to glorify you now. So, Lord, enable us, guide us, and help us every day of our lives to be worshipers, to worship you, Lord, with every fiber of our being. Thank you for this day and for this week ahead. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain upon each one of us as we go ahead And live lives of worship unto our God who is worthy to be praised and worshiped forever and ever and ever. Amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday. Amen.